Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Bring Home Sandrine, a podcast covering the disappearance of Sandrine Jordan. My name is Graham Crowley. Thank you for listening. This is episode 11, Damage Control. This podcast has been created for a mature audience. There is discussion about suicide and death. Listener discretion is advised. The thoughts and opinions in this podcast are mine. Some updates for you. I mentioned in the last episode there is a lot happening behind the scenes, and that continues to be the case. Unfortunately, I'm still not in a position to be able to report on what is happening. These things do take time. I can say further evidence has come to light regarding Sandrine's laptops, the Rosetta Bunton letters, and much more. I anticipate by January 2024, I will be in a position to make comment. Please stay tuned. It has been over four months since the last episode dropped. Thank you for your patience. I have had many, many requests for updates and progress reports. The circumstances have been out of my control. As you may recall, the Jordan family were seeking the police investigation report through RTI legislation. The QPS is well aware of this podcast and no doubt expected I would report on the contents of the police investigation. I made no secret of the fact I wanted to read the contents of the police file. There are glaring inconsistencies in the timelines of some of the people in Sandrine's life. Examples include one male person having a window of seven hours, during which time he was unaccounted for, right in the middle of when Sandrine went missing. And as it transpires, claims he made of his whereabouts during that period turned out to be wrong. Lies? Well, he did tell a friend he lied to police about his movements. For that reason, and others, I wanted to see exactly what he and everyone else told police. After nine months of toing and froing, the QPS released the investigation report, and upon reading the report, the term damage control popped into my mind. The QPS advised they had gathered a total of 501 pages of material relating to the investigation surrounding Sandrine's disappearance. And of those 501 pages, they released in full 38 pages. 38 out of 501. 
And to understand exactly what is contained in those 38 pages, I have placed two examples on the Missing Sandrine Jordan Facebook page and the same examples on the Graham Crowley podcast investigation page. The material contained in those two pages are very accurate examples of the majority of the 38 pages released in full. The term worthless comes to mind, as does insulting. The QPS also released portions of 292 pages of their report. And again, I placed two examples of those pages on both Facebook pages. And there were many, many similar pages contained in the document received. Those pages were counted as partially redacted pages of the investigation under the legislation. Again, worthless. The Queensland Police Service refused to release any part of 171 pages. The lengths the QPS went to to protect their investigation results, or lack of them, in this case, is nothing short of extraordinary. I've seen results of FOI or RTI applications spanning some 30 years. Partial redactions are expected and anticipated, particularly, as you would understand, names and addresses of witnesses, etc. I have never seen this level of secrecy or damage control, call it what you will. As an example... QPS will usually redact the name, address and all identifying information regarding a witness. They will then release the contents of the statement the witness made. In Sandrine's case, police obtained 26 statements from civilian witnesses. The entire contents of 25 statements were redacted in full. Not one word was released. The exception was Sandrine's sister, Christine. They redacted even some of her statement and released the rest. In the report the QPS made to the coroner, they wrote that a pricey of all 26 witnesses was included. The entire pricey of all witnesses was redacted, including Christine Day's. And as you would be aware, a pricey is just that an overall summary of what a larger document contains. Not one word was deemed suitable for release. All that aside, there was the odd gem in the received file. However, none of them gave me any confidence in the police investigation. The following are a selection of comments contained in the file obtained from the QPS under the legislation. These are the words of the investigating officer and other police. I make occasional comment on some of the results of the police investigation, but invite you to draw your own conclusions. This sample was submitted for DNA analysis. However, no DNA was detected above the limit of detection as the quantitation stage. No further processing was conducted on this item. Unfortunately, all the exhibits in this case were destroyed after the inquest. Therefore, it doesn't matter whether DNA was detected or not, the items no longer exist. 
information obtained by telephone from Prince Charles Hospital Mental Health Unit. An assessment of the missing person had been made on the 30th of June. At that time, the missing person was found to have no significant mental illness. She was discharged with a single dose of a sedative and referred to her GP. That's an interesting comment. We have this scenario where everyone's saying that Sandrine was in poor mental health in the weeks leading up to her disappearance, yet only two weeks before her disappearance, she was assessed by professionals who determined she had no significant mental illness and was discharged with a single dose of a sedative. A message was left with her sister who stated she had been advised by many friends from Facebook that the missing person was desperate to get her laptop back before she was reported missing. Her sister stated that the missing person's friends advised that the missing person really wanted to get her laptop back from Redacted so he couldn't put anything on her computer. People claim Sandrine was suffering from delusional paranoia. Was it the case that the male was trying to put something on her computer and she was desperate to try and get it back to stop whatever it was he was trying to do her laptop or was she simply delusional? An extensive search was conducted of surrounding bushland and parklands by 32 plus SES on foot and on quad bikes and seven police officers was conducted on Tomlinson Road, Caboolture, but no further evidence was found of the missing person. This entry was dated the 23rd of July 2012. So we know that there were at least 32 SES involved and seven police officers. There was no evidence found of Sandrine or any other evidence associated with her disappearance. So by that point, The police knew that if she'd committed suicide or she was dead, it was not in that area. So surely the question would be asked, if she went elsewhere, how did she get there? Missing Persons Unit consulted on final proof-of-life checks in preparation for reports to the coroner. This entry was dated May 2014, so by then the police were satisfied that Sandrine was no longer alive. There was simply no evidence of her still being alive. The following comments were made in January 2013, and they are significant by the mindset of the officer writing the comments. Listen to what he says. She reports a single sleeper swag is missing from the missing person's belongings. In brackets, this adds weight to the theory that the missing person intentionally ran away. The bag of coins was being carried in her light green cloth sash, which has not been located. Again, adding further weight to the theory that the missing person had intentions of running away. The cash funds for food and transport, etc., The missing person often falsely used her name and date of birth in the years prior to her disappearance. This adds weight to the theory that the missing person intentionally ran away, false ID to open bank accounts, Medicare, Centrelink, etc. 
Witness, whose name has been redacted, provided a statement to detectives on the 6th of May 2014. She stated she was walking her dog through the Destiny Church at about 5.15pm on the day of the missing person went missing. She reports the date initially as 13th of August 2012. She states she observed the missing person standing outside redacted in Caboolture and observed two Pacific Islander males in a dark blue Holden Commodore sedan come tearing up the road. The passenger side male exited the vehicle and spoke to the missing person for between one and two minutes before grabbing her with both hands and shoving her into the front of the vehicle where the centre console would be before getting in next to her. The male then drove to the dead end of Tomlinson Road before turning back and driving past her again. She stated she obtained a partial registration number 985-something-OV. Approximately 10 minutes later, she heard a woman screaming coming from across the Dagwala Highway near Smith's Road. The witness also states that she is a clairvoyant and has had dreams and feelings about the matter and believes the missing person is deceased and her body is in water in the Wamuran area. At this point, I'll refer you to the coroner's report as detailed in episode two of this podcast. I reproduce the relevant portion here. The significant comments, in my opinion, are this. The witness advised police she saw Sandrine abducted in Tomlinson Road. She also told them she was a clairvoyant and had dreams about the location of Sandrine's body. Two separate issues, actually witnessing the abduction, and the fact that she happens to be a clairvoyant. How did the police and the coroner deal with this? As follows. 52. Police were contacted by Amanda H, who described herself as self-employed clairvoyant. She provided an extremely detailed account of the abduction of Sandrine Jordan from Tomlinson Road on the day of her disappearance. She described two South Pacific Island males in their 30s who pulled Sandrine into the car. However, she did not report this to police until a significant time later after she had seen reports of Sandrine being a missing person. Her explanation of the delay was her husband's previous involvement with bikies and his warning not to involve herself with police. 53. A partial number plate was checked by police and found not to match any known vehicle registration. 54. The police discounted this account, and so do I. The missing person was displaying signs of severe mental illness, including delusional paranoia, depression and suicidal thoughts in the three weeks prior to her disappearance. And I can only refer you back to the professional assessment of the Prince Charles Mental Health Unit, who said she was displaying no signs of mental illness on the 30th of June. It appears as though, due to her mental illness, the missing person failed to recognise that her friends and family were trying to help her. The missing person's paranoid delusions included a belief that her friends and family were conspiring against her, were hacking into her computer, trying to plant child pornography on her computer, tapping her phones, tapping her internet and modems, attempting to kill her and or trying to turn her into the police. This information appears to fly in the face of what the family and friends 
have been saying and the statements that they have made. Also contained in these notes and diaries are a number of entries which appear to indicate the missing person was contemplating suicide or was planning to intentionally run away and remain missing. A summary of these notes are included below. Unfortunately, these notes have been redacted and I'm not aware of what they are. The family aren't aware of them. So we're not sure where that's going. Although the results of the forensic examination were inconclusive, investigators believe it is possible that this letter was written by the missing person. I don't agree with that, as do many others. I doubt that that Rosetta Button letter was written by Sandrine. Entry. Attempt to contact missing person mobile. No response at all. In brackets, maybe disconnected. The number goes to a message bank. Contact Brisbane Communications and request triangulation of missing person's mobile. Request was denied as there was no justifiable imminent threat of life filed in the last 12 hours. It's unfortunate that there was no triangulation. May well have produced evidence that would have assisted in this case. The missing person has had no contact with her friends or family since the disappearance. The missing person's erratic behaviour has abandoned her relationships and support networks. The missing person has not accessed her bank accounts and has had no contact with Medicare, Centrelink, Immigration or any other government department. Points that indicate foul play, these points have been considered by investigators that foul play is believed to be unlikely. There's not much I can say about that. As a result of an investigation by the investigating officer, it is suspected the missing person may either still be alive and wanting to remain missing or alternatively be deceased as a result of suicide. It is not suspected that the missing person is deceased as a result of foul play, accident or negligence, criminal negligence or neglect of duty. However, this cannot be completely discounted as the missing person's whereabouts are unknown. The investigating officer has come to this determination due to the following points. And it would appear the coroner has just simply accepted this report and ruled accordingly. I spoke with Sandrine's sister Christine recently and discussed the contents of the RTI file received and her opinion of it. Christine, what's your thoughts on the file that you've received? Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Honest opinion? Disgraceful. I mean... It's most of it are blank pages, blacked out pages. There is barely any information. I mean, my own statements are blacked out. They're my statements, for goodness sake. They're blacked out. Yes, there's not much in it, is there? No, considering there was such a delay for it all. 
Mm, nine months. Well, originally they were going to send a lot more. And then a lot of it's been retracted. Mm. I don't understand. I honestly don't understand it all. It's going through these pages. I'm flabbergasted because they've got him. I mean, even the police statements that we've got that most of, or some of it's not blacked out, but even some of them, they're contradicting themselves mm. in certain pages. Um, one page they talk about her being admitted to Prince Charles on the 30th. Prince Charles it actually states in here, no mental illness seen and discharged her. On the same statement, he's referring her to being admitted to the Namble Hospital. On the same date. There's so many things that are just so wrong in here, it's just not funny. It just shows everything that has been done for the last 11 years. It's been taken as a joke. Really, that's how I see it. This is just another kick in the face as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't really progress the matter for us, does it? I was hoping to see some material as to who said what to whom and what various uh, people said to the police, and that has been completely redacted. Completely. I mean, as I said, my own statements, which are my own personal statements made to the police, they have even been retracted. I mean, isn't mm. the freedom of information so that I have access to what is mm. mine? There were a few small gems in it, the one about... um the Prince Charles advising that she had no mental illness that they could detect on the 30th of June. I, just two weeks before she went missing, I thought that was interesting. Well, considering the coroner on the coroner's report, it's a totally different statement. Yeah. They've made out that she was admit that she had um, had mental health issues, mm. and that because of she had gone to Prince Charles, yeah. she had mental health issues where it clearly states from their own words is no mental illness. Mm. The consistent theme that uh, I found in the available material was that uh, she was um, very mentally ill just prior to her uh, disappearance and seems to be now contradicted. There is a matter that I wanted to raise with you, and I'll read out what is in the report. This is the words of the author and the investigating officer. In addition to this, when Christine searched the missing person's belongings, she observed that the missing person's swag and bush survival kit were missing and that a number of bush survival and bush tucker guide books had been highlighted. Christine also noticed that her 18 plus card and birth certificate were missing. Christine suspects the missing person may have planned to use her identification information to assist her in running away. Do you have any comment to make about that? As far as bush survival kit, what exactly is that? Um, this is supposed to be my word. Now, yes, her swag is missing, her fridge is missing, her washing machine is missing, her dryer is missing. Most of her belongings are missing. But out of the context, the question I was asked by the police is, what items are missing? They took swag and bush survival kit, 
I mean, and Joel actually looked so, up on the internet and Googled up what is a bush advisor kit, which is only just a few days ago. I didn't even know what that was. So they cherry-picked what you said. They pretty much have. They have cherry-picked what I've said. And as far as my 18-plus card and that, yes, they were, they have been missing for my items, but I had just gone over and everything, and I even told them I may have accidentally thrown them out when I was cleaning out some of my items. Mm. Those comments are at odds with what the police say in the report, aren't they? They are. Um, the other thing that absolutely irritates me at the moment is bush tucker books and everything else. Sandrine was a horticulturist. She worked with plants. Mm. Of course she knows what plants she can eat, what plants she can't. She camped. She took her kids camping all the time. She mm. went to retreats, camping. Nothing sinister about that. She works with plants between landscape and horticulture. I mean... <laughs> mm. When you read it in the report, it's, it's got this sinister overtone that she was um, running away or didn't want to be found, but that wasn't the case, was it? No. As I keep on saying, she kept on telling me she sent the wrong email to the wrong person. Mm. Now, having a look through some of these things and some most of her belongings, you can see there are things there that just don't add up. Mm. And me being her sister, yes, I have sentimental value on it. But the more people look at it, the more people go, hang on, that don't add up to that, not just me. I'm not the only one that sees flaws in all of this. Mm. Everything other than possibly the victim of foul play. It just frustrates me that she's been painted as a mental health case, mental ill, paranoia, man crazy, everything that they've put it on, all because of what? I mean, what evidence do they have? Because they didn't give us that. Us that. I mean, there's even a statement in here that they've dismissed. There's another statement. They, they've dismissed the foul play. That's an interesting one because there's a witness in one of them, we don't know who this is, a milkman that witnessed a white station wagon going around around about three times. The days, police put it down as wrong days. A few weeks after my sister went missing, a white station wagon showed up at my brother's house, three guys in it. One guy stayed in the car with the car running, two guys tried to jump the fence. My brother went to the police about it. The car got searched because my Sandrine's car wasn't my brother's getting repaired. Police, where's, where is that information? I mean, this is our family. Mm. One of them, I believe, is the, um, is the clairvoyant. And, and I found that interesting as well because it seems to me she witnessed Sandrine's abduction. She told the police that Sandrine was abducted, but they dismissed it because she's a clairvoyant. And I wonder if she hadn't told them that she was a clairvoyant, what weight they would have put on the statement then. It wasn't dismissed until at the end, whoever this person is. At the end of it is where she turns around and says that she is also clairvoyant. Yeah, correct. But at the beginning of that statement, she said that she was walking her dog at exactly. 10 past 5 and saw Sandrine at the front of 
exactly. her friend's house. Exactly. So one of my other things that I have been quite annoyed about is the more you read these occurrence reports and everything else is they classed her as a walk-off suicide from day dot. Mm. From what we've heard from everybody, they've classed her as a walk-off suicide. But still, according to police bollards, they were kept on being denied to get her phone to her angulated. Because mm. there was no imminent threat to herself. It's a very disappointing outcome in terms of what has been released more what has not been released, it, it really doesn't take us anywhere. I read that Sandrine withdrew around $700 on the morning that she went missing in cash. Do you know what happened to that money? Um, she withdrew $200 from what my mum saw in her wallet. I thought I read there was $700. Uh, $700, yeah, there was... There is something written in here saying she withdrew $700 from one account and transferred it into another account. Oh, did she? Yeah. So there is money. She had opened up a bank account, a new bank account at Kippering the month prior. I recall she was withdrawing money to pay uh, the mechanic that uh, fixed a car at Peter's place. Yes. But the money that she did withdraw, do we know what happened to that money? Nope. Just disappeared. It, it disappeared with everything else, with her. It disappeared with her. We might leave it there, Christine. Thanks for your time, and um, we'll push on and see where we go from here. That's exactly right, because I ain't going to stop until, if anything else, this has made me more determined now to actually keep pushing and trying to get more answers instead of this. Um, this is just... It may have been a deterrent. I don't know, but this definitely hasn't done that for me. If anything, I'm going to be pushing this a lot more further and seeking a lot more advice on this rubbish that they've supposedly charged $200 for. I know the family doesn't have any intention of giving up, and I'm happy to keep reporting. As, as long as there's news coming out or as long as we've got a lead, I'm happy to keep reporting, so we'll just keep boxing on. If you are wondering who decides what information to release and not release, that decision is made by someone within the Right to Information and Privacy Unit of the Queensland Police Service, acting on instructions from a senior officer of the QPS. The legislation dictating what is permissible to release are the Right to Information Act 2009 and the Information Privacy Act 2009. That is the policy. How the policy is implemented is left to the Queensland Police Service. In this case, they decided to release around 10% of the available material. That decision can be appealed by the applicant, in this case Christine Day. She can have the decision reviewed internally by a senior officer within the QPS or she can appeal to the Office of the Information Commissioner and likely she will win. Or the Queensland Police Service may tie the application up for years through the courts. Those listeners familiar with one of my other podcasts, Who Killed Leanne Holland, will recall that in that case, 
The Queensland Police Service refused to release their review of their original police investigation under any circumstances, despite the fact the senior officer leaked the report in full and unredacted to commercial TV station Channel 7. Channel 7 then broadcast a program based on that report. It took over eight years, with the Queensland Police vigorously defending the application through the District Court to obtain the police report. Eventually, some 70% of the 530-page report was released. So you can understand that at 10%, it suggests the decision was personal. Queensland Police did not want the contents of that report to be made public. We can only guess why that would be. Were they that concerned about the shoddy nature of the investigation, they covered it up. Another reason, this matter needs a full coronial inquest to determine exactly what happened to Sandrine Jordan. You may recall that in April 2023, I emailed the Attorney-General to draw her attention to all three podcasts I have broadcast and stating that, in my opinion, her intervention in all three matters was urgently required. I received a reply in August this year. I have placed the Attorney-General's letter in full on both Facebook pages if you wish to peruse them. The relevant comments were these. As you know, the Coroner's Act 1958 Queensland is the relevant legislation under which the Attorney-General has a discretion to determine whether to, to direct that an inquest is held into a death. When exercising this discretion, key considerations are taken into account on whether the holding of an inquest is necessary and whether it is in the public interest to do so. The Attorney-General may be persuaded that an inquest should be held where there is new cogent, reliable evidence or other new information comes to light. Unfortunately, in the cases of Leanne Holland and Sandrine Jordan, evidence of the nature required has not been provided to the Attorney-General to enable her to exercise the discretion to consider a request to direct the State Coroner to open an inquest in either matter. Further to this, anyone may also request an inquest by writing to the State Coroner outlining why it is in the public interest. If anyone listening feels the coroner should hold a full inquest in Sandrine's death, I invite you to write to the state coroner requesting one be held. It is my opinion the QPS and the Queensland Government are obviously in damage control mode regarding this case. They are just sitting back, weathering the storm, waiting for it to blow over. I think they have underestimated the resolve of Sandrine's family. Stay tuned. This story is far from over. This last week, I was contacted by a female listener. What a story she had to tell me. She was sexually assaulted by one of the men in Sandrine's life. Police were involved. It was extremely difficult to listen to her tell her story. And she remains traumatised by it to this day. I accept the woman's story unequivocally and I believe you would too if you were able to hear it. It is a very sad 
and very disturbing story. The lady does not want her story to be made public at this time, and I respect her wishes. I do thank her for contacting me. It filled in some blanks, and it is just another question to be put to police as to why they were so casual with investigating Sandrine's disappearance. And I need some help. Do you know anyone who works with facial recognition software? I need to have two photographs compared to determine if they are the same person. Not for this podcast, but for another project. If you know of anyone, I would love to hear from them. Thank you in advance. Please join me next time as we continue to follow the evidence trail of what happened to Sandrine Jordan. If you follow the podcast, you will be advised when a new episode drops. If you like the podcast, please rate and review it for me. It does help others to find the podcast. The Facebook page is Missing Sandrine Jordan. You can message me privately on Facebook at Graham Crowley Podcast Investigations or email me direct at graham5353 at live.com. That's G-R-A-E-M-E 5353. This podcast was made possible with the awesome assistance of the ACAST Creator Network. Music Inevitable Hope by RKVC. You'll find all my contact details in the show notes at the end of each episode. Thanks again for listening. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.